So today we're going to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to continue this change series. And, and part of what we've wanted to emphasize with this is so often we just feel like we get stuck in life. The, the tires are turning, but we're not gaining any momentum and we can't get anywhere. And it may not be in every area of life and, and it may be seasonal or it may be this pervasive thing that attacks you at every corner. But we feel like we get stuck and, and then we just have to go, well, there's got to be a way to get out of it. And sometimes you hope that for a long time and then sometimes you get to that hopeless place where you're like, well, maybe this is just my life now. This is just who I am. This is what I have to deal with. And what we want to bring is the truth of what the Bible says is that is not the case. Jesus is, he makes change possible for us. But as, as I started thinking about being stuck, uh, it's snowboard season for me. Thankfully, I got to go last week for the first time and uh, it makes me, every time I'm on the lift and every time I'm going up, and, and I've been enough now that I don't fall all the way down the mountain. But that's the kind of the joy. It's like that secret kind of selfish desire as you're out there watching new people. Because it just reminds you of the struggle when you started. But I can remember vividly, and every time I'm on the lift, I think very clearly about this. Um, I'm from Arkansas. We don't get a lot of snow there. And so the concept of like, Six to eight feet of snow on a mountain is, is pretty bizarre to me. And so as I'm snowboarding, as I'm beginning, I get off into the trees a little bit, and I get into some powder, and I fall. And it occurs to me that the ground is not here. It's like way down there. And I've realized that I'm now upside down with my feet above my head with no way to touch the ground. It's just snow everywhere. And then I have the realization, as I hear laughter and voices, that the ski lift is, like, there. <laughs> and so as I'm trying to dig myself out and swim and skate and tunnel somehow, that seemed like a strategy at one point, there are those moments where I'm going, I, I think this is just it. Like, this, I'm just here now. This is my day. I'm going to wait till the snow thaws, and then I will move on with my life, and I'll never come back to snowboarding again. Um, but thankfully, I dug myself out and was, was able to move on with that. But thinking about that as I'm out there and as I'm preparing for this message, it's that sense of that hopelessness where you feel like maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe I can't do this. And specifically towards your spirituality and your Christianity, there are times maybe where you get so frustrated with your circumstances, with a certain situation, with a problem, that you feel like maybe, maybe I can't be a Christian. Like maybe I can't follow Jesus. Maybe this is something that's just beyond me because it's too difficult and it's too hard and I keep getting stuck. And that's what we want to dig out of today. Uh, first, a time out to kind of thank Steve for this. Um, today we're going to be talking about how we can change physically, which is always the most... Uh, fun conversation to have, right? Uh, people immediately, when you start talking about your physical self, people kind of get on edge. And so um, thank you, Steve, for letting me be the one to receive the emails this week. Uh, I will do my best to respond to those. But before you start writing the emails in your head as we talk about the, the physical self, an important distinction I want to make, I feel like there have been people who get up on stage, who use scripture to talk about a certain kind of physicality that isn't really what the Bible is trying to say. What, we, what is not important is that we raise up uh, a bunch of super Christian Jesus models. F 
physicality in, in the body in the Bible has much less to do with your physical appearance and much more to do with your physical action. The other thing to remember is that your physicality is not directly connected to your salvation. So before you get on edge of saying, well, okay, so if I eat this or if I drink this or if I look this way or if I don't look this way, are you saying to me that I can't be a Christian and I can't be saved? Not at all. What I am saying is there may be some things in our physical areas that are keeping us from experiencing the best of what God has to offer while we're here. Some of our physical decisions may be keeping us in that stuck place where we're not able to experience the freedom that God brings. One of my favorite illustrations is we're talking about, uh, and I think it's important to note that, the difference between uh, great and best. There are some good things, there are some great things in life, but they're not necessarily the best things in life. And it's one of my favorite illustrations. This dad takes his five-year-old to the mall, and they're walking down the mall, and, and they come across this kiosk. And, and you guys will know the toy I'm talking about, but it's like a little foam ball on about a five-foot bungee string that you tie to your wrist, and you can, like, throw it, and it'll come back. At least that's the principle. I've never really seen it work that way. But the son becomes just infatuated with this toy. Dad, I have to have it. I have to have that toy. I have to have it. Dad, please let me have that toy. I need that. And dad's like, no, son, you don't understand. Like, the, it's going to get wrapped around you, and the, the cord's going to break, and you're not going to know how to use it and play with it. It's just not the right time. No. And the son begins to kind of throw a fit and cry, like, no, dad, but really, I need it. I have to have it. I need this toy. I need it. And he says, as hard as it was, I'm like, son, I'm sorry. This is, this is the moment that I say no, and we're going to keep going. And so he says he picks up his son, and they're walking away from the toy, and his son is crying and still kind of throwing a fit, and they kind of calm down eventually. They finish what they're needing to do, and on their way out, they stop by the sports store in the mall. And he says he walks his five-year-old son up to this massive wall of kickballs, every color, shape, size, design that you can think of. And he looks at his five-year-old, and he says, son, which one do you want? This is a toy that will be good for you. This is a thing that you can enjoy. This is something we can enjoy together. Pick the one that you want. In that moment, it's the dad talking to his five-year-old son about, listen, I just know what's better, and you have to trust me. And just because this thing doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to doesn't mean that something else right around the corner isn't much better. We kind of get the same way in our spiritual lives with God. We, we start throwing these fits as adults of saying, God, if you would just give me this, if you would just keep this from happening to me, if you would pull me out of this, if you would hand me this, then I'd have everything that I need. And then when those things don't come to us, we feel like we're beating our head on the wall. We're like, God, why won't you do this for me? I need this. This is all I'm asking from you. And the reality is, and that's what scripture teaches, sometimes God's the one just saying, it's not the right thing for you right now. It's not the right time. It's not the right thing at all. It may never come. I may have something completely different but better waiting for you. And this is one of those conversations where we kind of have to resign to ourselves of saying, but this is what I want. And at least ask the question, God, what might I need? If you're not answering me in this way, what might you be trying to tell me about what I need? The important thing is that God knows you. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is and will provide for you what you need, when you need it. So for categories of people in the room, if you're not a believer, 
And if you're not a Christian, I hope maybe some of this conversation today will break down some of the myths of Christianity, that maybe we can remove some of the barriers between the conversation of Christian and non-Christian. But if you are a Christian, if you do believe in what this Bible says, I challenge you, really try to let some of those barriers down this morning. We're going to talk about some hard things. We're going to talk about some things that will step on toes. And we'll talk about some things that will probably make you uncomfortable. But I'm begging you, at least let the walls down just enough to see if God might be trying to tell you something in in what we're going to talk about today. There is no place in all of Scripture that allows us to separate what is going on spiritually in a person's heart with what's being done with a person's body. There's no place, and we try to do that all the time, of separate, well, here's my church spirituality, and then here's myself. And I get to do the things that I want to do with my time, and then when I go to church, I do what God wants me to do with that time. And we just kind of fall into that, yeah, but that, this, is my, this is my personal time. I can choose to do what I want to do with my personal time. But that's what's so powerful about that. There, there is no place, there is no evidence in Scripture that you can separate what you do and what you believe. Another way to say that is what is on the inside should directly affect what we do on the outside. And what we do on the outside reflects what is on the inside. Jesus teaches that whatever is going on on the inside will come out on the outside with what you do physically. We get started here in Romans 12, and it's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Romans 12 a little bit today. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore. And I want to pause, because that's one of the most important words when you're reading scripture. When you read an individual verse, this was written as a comprehensive story. And it's like opening your favorite book and just picking one line of it out and expecting that to explain the whole sentence. You know, therefore is trying to say, because of everything that has happened so far in this conversation, therefore this. And the first part's really important. So if I just walked up to you and said, therefore, you need to give me $100. You would just hand me $100, right? It's not important about why I, I said therefore. Anybody? I was hoping for a taker. We're going to have a conversation later if I could get one. Anyway. So when we read this in Romans 12, we want to look back at the first 11 chapters of Romans and, and Guys, this is an amazing book. It's one of the most encouraging and and simultaneously challenging books in Scripture for believers. But it's this amazing pep talk for people who are trying to live out the Christian faith. It's Paul showing us and, and relating to us and empathizing with us that the Christian life is hard. But it's also improving over and over again from stories of God, of, of how good God is and how great the blessings are that come from walking that faith. And Paul's trying to say, listen, because of everything that Christ did, if you believe this and you want to jump into these gifts and you want to make that a part of your life and you want to enjoy these blessings, if you believe all of that is true about God, therefore, here's your response. That's where we continue in 12.1. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
I want to break this down a little bit and talk about as we get into the how, how, how do we break from this chain of being stuck with our physical selves? Um, the first thing that's so important about this passage is that phrase, mercies of God. We skip over that because it's just kind of regular Bible lingo. But Paul picks every word in, in these passages very specifically. And mercies of God has so much power because the command that God is making, because I want to give you all of these blessings, do this. The command is not out of a place for where God desires to push us under his control, to keep us under his thumb, to oppress, to, to reduce who you are. God wants you to follow this out of the mercy, out of the compassion of his heart because he wants better things for you. It's the dad with the kickball. He's not trying to steal all the joy and fun out of your life. It's because he has a greater understanding of what you need. And he's begging you to think about this. By the mercies of God. One of my greatest fears in life um, is having heart trouble and being told that I can't have bacon anymore. Like, there's a lot of things I'd probably rather have happen to me than someone say, no more bacon. But for the sake of the conversation, let's say that happens someday, and the doctor walks in the room, and he's like, Brandon, if you want to continue living, you're going to have to give up bacon. And then my family is coming in saying, Brandon, you need to give up bacon. You can't do this anymore. And, and every time I'm reaching for that plate, you know, there's that family member slapping the hand away going, no. I'm going to be a little resentful, <laughs> and that's not going to be easy. But when we put it in that context, it's, it's easier to understand, like, they're not doing that to hurt me. It hurts, but they're trying to help me live this full life. They're trying to make sure that I'm a part of the things that I need to be a part of as an adult. And God's the same way in this command. He's saying, listen, you can enjoy that. There's nothing wrong necessarily with bacon, but because you've abused it for so long, it's going to keep you from living the life you need to leave. And I think that's the appeal God's making in this for sure, is he's saying, listen, it may not be that the thing I'm asking you to give up or do is sinful in and of itself, but maybe your abuse of it, maybe the way you've been using this thing is keeping you from experiencing the life that, that I've designed for you, is keeping you from getting unstuck. Most of us believe in a God who created the universe. Everything from Nothing. And in that faith, you can wrap your mind around like, well, God is that powerful. He's that powerful. He's that big to create something like that. The complexities of never-endingness that we'll never fully understand or comprehend. But then when it comes to him telling us what to do in our personal life, it's like, no, you don't understand. You don't get it. You see how absurd that is? By the mercies of God. All right. This is, this is good. By the mercies of God, what is he asking you to do? Present your bodies. And I've heard this passage taught a bunch of different ways. And, and people say self, and people say life, and people say being. So I didn't want to confuse anybody. So I broke out the Greek lexicon. I went back to my study days. And I wanted to find what's the actual translation for that word bodies in the Greek. You know what it is? Bodies. It's exactly what it sounds like. There is no different or deeper translation. It is your flesh and your skin, your body. It's good. God wants you to self, 
yep, all that kind of stuff, your spirituality, your life, sacrifice your life, that's great. Present your body. And the awkward part of that is all the parts of your body. All of them. Even those. We'll come back to that. It's not too late to go to kids' ministry. Present your bodies, yourself, your flesh, as a living sacrifice. And there's two parts I want to pick out about that word. One, first is sacrifice. We can go back to that passage. Um, thanks. Sacrifice is not supposed to be easy. At no point in any area of life have you had to sacrifice something and been like, man, no, whatever. It's not a sacrifice then. The definition of sacrifice is laying down something that you love for something that you love more. Laying down something that you love for something that you love more. God is asking you to lay down the physical parts of yourself that you would like to be in control of. And he's asking you to lay those things down for something greater. But notice the other part, the, the second word in there, living, a living sacrifice. God's not calling you to give up and sacrifice and abandon and put to death your life. He's asking you to use your life and your body for him. It's a gaining something more. It's not a giving up something and being punished and being reduced. God wants you to live your life for something greater than yourself. And so what is that that we're doing? We do present our bodies and we do make it a living sacrifice, meaning we, we dedicate what we have for the greater purpose of what God is. He says it's our spiritual worship. And I think it's so funny, out of, out of all the things that we focus on in church and all the things that we try to make such a priority, right here, the beginning of this therefore passage with Paul, these are the words that he used. What you do with your body is your primary act of worship. And I think why this is so important, because, you know, I can say, well, well, what I do with my prayer life is my spiritual act of worship. What I do with my voice is my spiritual act of worship. What I do in community with other people, that's my spiritual act of worship. What's so unique about this, when you really try to break it down, though, is why is the body important to God? Why does he care? We're going to die someday anyway, right? Isn't that kind of what we all say? Eat what I want, I'll do what I want, I'll die someday. And, and we believe we'll go to heaven, we believe we'll get all, you know, a new body and all that good stuff. So why is he concerned with our body right now? If you think about it, the body is the only thing that you actually have control over. You can't control other people. You can't control your relationships. You can't control your job. You can't control what's going to... But the only thing you have complete, really, control of in life is your body and what you do with it. Because if you don't have a body, you don't exist. There is no self. It's how you experience life. It's how you love the people around you. You have to use this physical nature, and it's the only thing that you really have to offer. So what greater gift is there to God? What greater thing would we want him to be in control of than ourself, our body? And so that, that gives us kind of two paths we can go down. God, teach me how I can give my body to you 
so that I may worship you in the greatest way that I can because it's the greatest thing that I have to offer. But I really want this and I'm just going to go do this instead. What we choose to do with our bodies reveals what we actually value or worship and what we don't value or don't worship. And the reason I put both of those words together is because we can say worship and we kind of have this elevated meaning of that word, but that's really what it means, value. What do you value in life? Because you'd probably say, there are lots of things that I do that I probably know that I shouldn't do, but I don't worship those things. Do you value them? Do they have importance to you? Do you sacrifice other things in life to do those things? That's worship. That's placing one thing above something else. And the hard part of that is when we make those decisions, especially concerned to our body and our flesh and our relationship with God, is we're saying, God, I do love you, but I'm, I'm going to do this and put this first. It doesn't mean that I don't love you, but I, I'm, I'm going to value this a little bit more today than I'm going to value the things that you want from me. And it's kind of having the same relationship as if you had a spouse and the spouse was begging you not to do a certain thing. And you're like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. What does that say about how you value your spouse? Not great, right? Like, hey, when you say this or hey, when you do this, it makes me feel so terrible. It makes me feel really bad when you do or say these things. Our natural response is like, great, yeah, I know I love you. I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't want to make you feel that way. And if you chose to do those things, what you're communicating to your significant other is, I just care more about that than I do about you. And that's easy for us to wrap our mind around because we're like in those relationships, well, I would never want to do those things. And sometimes I mess up, but, but I always try to make it right. And then we get to our spiritual lives and it's like all the rules change. That's when it's okay for, for God and the Bible to ask something of us and for us to go, mm, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. To choose anything to choose anything that you want over what God has asked is to value that thing more than God. First Corinthians 10:31 says this: "Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." Not a, not a new passage, something we've probably heard a lot if you've been in church any amount of time. Whatever you drink, whatever you do, whatever you eat, do it all for the glory of God. And so that's what we're going to get into is we're going to take three specific areas, but we're going to hold that up to that examination of, of God. If this is what you're asking from me, regardless of what I want, regardless of what I like, regardless of what my preference is, if you're asking me to submit this area of my life to you, I'm going to do it. But I'm not saying that it's easy. Romans 12.2, this is the second verse in this passage of Romans after the therefore. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Part two is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. And I, 
I know I'm going to keep driving this home, but I just want to be sure we get on the same page. And, and we don't have to agree at the end of the day, but I at least want us to have the information out there. Our culture, big picture, U.S., specifically United States Christianity, has adopted this kind of gray area conversation where we go, I know that's what things used to be, but God probably doesn't mean that anymore. And I, I know there are, there are those out there right now that just flat out disagree with this. And that's okay. We can disagree. There's no lost love in that. We can disagree. But I'm trying to tell you what is in Scripture has not changed and does not change in meaning. The same way bodies didn't miraculously become preference, submit your preferences to God, submit the things you don't really care about to God, the same way it didn't changed in that it didn't change in any other area of life either and how we're supposed to react with our food and with our drink and with everything that we do is still to bring glory to God and we have to submit to that that's part of this Christianity thing we have to submit to that but if you're like me and you've grown up in that gray area and you've adopted some of those mentalities of what the world says is good and acceptable and true you probably really battle with this idea of, of okay, I, was, I, I did a lot of things I wasn't supposed to do, and then I became a Christian, and I got baptized, and then I never did another bad thing again, right? Never struggled, was never tempted, didn't sin anymore. Anybody? Me either. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Keely, <laughs> Keely we're going to have a talk later. <laughs> Miscommunication, I think. No. Uh, it doesn't work that way, and so you become really frustrated in this area of like, well, I'm trying to live what's culturally acceptable, but I feel stuck as a Christian because I continue doing the same things over and over again, and, and in reality, my life doesn't look much different. And that's because we've sacrificed some of the things that God has asked us to do and replaced them with things that we consider to be good or true, that the world considers to be good or true. And if you take the substance out of truth... What, what else is there to stand on? You're doing this kind of hybrid Christianity dance where the things that I agree with what the Bible says, I'm in on that, and the things that don't, well, I'm just kind of, kind of push those under the carpet. And then we wonder why we never get the full picture and we never experience the full blessings and we get stuck in those conversations with God of like, why can't you pull me out of this? Maybe some of those things that we've given up that God has asked us to do are some of the things that can lead us back to a healthier place of experiencing more of those blessings. So, I want to talk about the big three. And pretty much for everybody, these are the three we're going to relate to the most on the physical parts of ourself that we struggle with submitting to God. Food, drink, specifically alcohol, and our sexuality. Those are the three biggest things across the board that most anybody's going to struggle with with their physical self. I want to do... Uh, uh, Alcohol first, because it's a little different than the other two. I don't think anybody has ever drank too much and, and been like, yeah, that was a good idea. <laughs> right? In the moment, maybe. But I don't think anybody's ever finished that and been like, I, I can't wait to do that again. That was the best, best thing I've done. Why do you think that is? If God designed us, which I believe, do you think our bodies are trying to tell us something? 
that maybe we're not made to be like that and made to do that, and that's not a sustainable action for us. And that's just on the physical side. You know, let's go a little further into that conversation. Um, how many of those arguments with that significant other, that other person, have to happen after maybe one or two many drinks? How many of those decisions have been made in life that have taken something from you? A friendship, a relationship, uh, an accident because of one or too many drinks. How many of you know somebody whose life has been dramatically, drastically changed forever because of one or too many drinks? Alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is not sinful. It's not. How we use it, though, can get out of hand and can keep us from experiencing some of those things. And God is saying, in everything that you drink, do it for my glory. That's hard, guys. That one, that, that's hard. But that's one of those areas you're not in control of. And, and I maybe should have preferenced this. I'm not the Holy Spirit, in case you didn't know. I'm just a fellow traveler, all right? I'm trying to figure all this out just the same. But if you're feeling that tension inside as we go through some of these topics, anger, confusion, fear, don't let that just stay in anger. Think of that as God maybe trying to tell you something. Maybe there's a conviction thing happening inside of you where he's saying the reason you're so worked up about this is I've been trying to tell you this for a long time. We've been having this conversation for a long time, but you're not listening. If you're feeling that tension, maybe let today just be one of those things that kind of tweaks that inside of you, saying maybe I, should, maybe I should approach this in a different way. Maybe I should consider this differently. Now, the reason that I think that uh, alcohol is different than, than food and our sexuality is because you don't have to drink alcohol. You, you don't. And if that's an issue and that's the thing you're struggling with and that's the thing maybe you're thinking I have to give some control of this up because it's stealing some of the good things that God has planned for me, don't go buy it anymore. Don't go to the bar. Don't order it. You have that option. I'm not saying it's easy, but you have that option. What you can't do is stop eating or stop being sexual. It's not possible. You can't do it. It's part of who you are. You cannot separate yourself from it. Food first. If you stop eating food, you will die. Same page? Cool? So again, God designed us that way. Food is not bad. What we do with it can be the problem. And again, I'm not even talking about the fitness aspect of things. But where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money and in what areas have, has this stolen something from you? Eating too much, eating not enough, making this a focus of your life of how I look or what I do, is that taking from the focus of, of how much God loves you and how much that relationship needs to be built between you? Do you spend more hours of the day looking in the mirror worried about your weight than you do thinking about what God has planned for your life or what your relationship with him is like or reading or praying or loving people? Food isn't always about weight, but has food become a, a worship value thing to you that has replaced some really good things that God would rather you spend some of that time and energy on? You have to eat. You should eat well. You should take care of your body. It is a gift from God. Not being healthy will keep you from being able to do things in life that you probably should be able to do. But take a step back from that just a second and just say, in general, am I offering that area of my life to God? Is God receiving glory by the way that I treat food and treat that with other people and with myself? Am I abusing it? Is it stealing from some of the better things that God might have planned? 
On to the most awkward one. <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> Let me get some water real quick. I think we need a break. Let that one sit for a second. All right. So, sexuality. In the same way that you can't separate your spiritual self from your physical self, in the same way you can't separate your sexuality from your physical self. God designed you this way. God made sex. Every part of it. He, he specifically worked it out to be this thing that is desirable and is good, but he put guidelines with it. And there is, there is the way that we're supposed to treat it, and there's often the way that we choose. And if we're really honest with ourselves, the choosing the, the wrong way is usually just out of, that's what I want. It's what feels good. It's what I wanted at the time. It, it gave me something immediate that I needed in the moment, but it's not necessarily the bigger picture of what God has planned. Again, this is not a, a damning statement. This is an area to consider and to reflect and see if there are things that you're holding up uh, away from God that, that you're, you're trying to keep for yourself. And, and when, I, when I mean in your sexuality, I'm not just talking about specifically in marriage or just outside of marriage. The whole premise, what is your sexuality like in your marriage? What is your sexuality like as a single person? What is your sexuality like in a dating relationship? Is, that, is it an issue with another person? Is it an issue with yourself? Is it an issue with something you're viewing or watching? Again, the problem is not sex. The problem is sexual immorality. And the definition of that is any, any sexual activity or pursuit involving your mind, your eyes, or your physical body that is different than what God says is right, true, and good. So what does God say is right, true, and good? 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, flee, run from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's not, it's not one of those things that you can just separate yourself from and leave at home. It'd be easier if you could. It's like food. If you could just turn off eating for a while and that not be a thing, that'd be fine. But it's something you have to be in constant evaluation of because you're constantly in contact with it. You have to make sure that it's in check. And so let that be that moment. Here's the really cool thing about that because a fellow struggler, that means something to you. To every person in the room, that's, that's sending this little red flag up of like, yeah, that's, that's my particular part of my sexuality that I struggle with. Here's what you need to know. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation puts the period at the end of the sentence and says, this is just how it'll always be. And, and you're always going to be this failure and you're never going to get better and you're always going to feel this way. Conviction says this. You just need to check that, and you can give that over and change as possible. God is not a God of condemnation. He's a God of conviction. So let that moment, let that thing, let that voice in your head speak to you. Here's, you know, the, the way that I would say it, here's a good litmus test. Because what, what I'm not going to say again, guys, I'm not the Holy Spirit. What I'm not trying to tell you is here's your list. Here's the line. Don't go past the line and you're fine. That's not what it's about. I'm not here to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. What I'm here to tell you is you need to connect with God and ask him what you should and shouldn't do. 
and you guys need to work that out, and you need to come to a good place. But here's a good litmus test. If you finish a certain activity, and you feel guilt, and you feel shame, you're probably not supposed to be doing it. God is consistent in Scripture of not being a God of guilt and shame and condemnation. In fact, he teaches very specifically the opposite of that, continually of saying, I am a God of freedom. I am a God of breaking chains. I am a God of grace. I'm not here to cast shame on you and make you feel guilty and make you feel stuck and make you feel like you're living this undesirable life. I'm here to give you more. God is not disappointed in you. And I need to hear that all the time. Because of the activities of my life that fill me with shame and guilt and those moments come, I know you have that moment where you feel like God's just crossed arms looking down at you, scolding you. Finger in your chest, finger in your face. But that's not God, that's Satan trying to paint this false image of who God is. God isn't disappointed. He's not discouraged. He just loves you and he wants to reconnect with you and he wants you to give up that area that may be causing that rift of guilt and shame. Because when we feel that way, go back, think about when you're a child and you broke the rules and you did something wrong. The first thing you wanted to do was go tell your parents you did something wrong, right? Why? (laughs) Because you felt like you're going to get in trouble and you're going to get disciplined. It's going to be so bad and it's going to be painful and they're going to be ashamed of me. And I don't know if you had good parents or not. Not everybody has the blessing of that. But I'll tell you this, a good parent, not ashamed of their kid. They may hurt for them. They want better for them. Doesn't mean there won't be discipline. But it's done out of a loving relationship and a loving response to what that child needs to learn. If your shame and your guilt and your fear is holding you back from a full relationship with God because one of these areas in your life is out of whack. That's just an improper view of who God really is. That's the chatterbox. That's Satan trying to keep you from that relationship by saying he's going to be so mad. God just wants to reconnect with you. He is not ashamed of you. So there's a church that I love, and and we're going to start wrapping this thing up. When they had this conversation with their church, they broke it down into these four parts. Because I think we're on the same page. I think I've beat this enough. What God has planned is often felt different in our life by what we want, and we have to submit the things that we want to be able to get to that place where maybe we break out of those chains. So what's a plan for that? What's a step-by-step kind of recognition of of how do we get to that place? How do we submit our bodies? How do we offer those physical things that are out of line with what God wants? This is how they broke it down. Part one is grace. Is what you are doing with your body a sin? Is it different than what God said is right, true, and best? If it isn't best, then grace can break the chains from that thing that steals your freedom. Grace can connect you back to God. So grace one, connecting you back, forgiveness. Grace two is this, grace that changes us. It doesn't just break us free. If you have a really unhealthy habit in life and you just stop doing that habit, it leads a void. And anytime you leave a void in life, it's just going to be filled by something else. 
what you have the option to do is choose what I'm going to fill that void with. We'll use alcohol as an example. If alcohol is your problem and you just stop abusing alcohol, but you don't replace it with something better, something else will come in there and fill that space. The second kind of grace is what we get to latch onto with God that he says, I want to fill that space. I want to fill that space with joy and hope and peace and a kindness and a love that's beyond anything you've ever experienced. I want to replace that bad thing with something that's really, really good. But you're going to have to have faith in me and trust me that that's what I'm going to do. So grace that gives us freedom, grace that changes us, those are the two that God can do. Here's our therefore, here's our three-part response. What's the vision? If you need to change in a physical area of your life, what's your vision for that? What would this life look like without that thing messing you up? What if you could say, I used to do that, but I don't anymore. And that may hit you in a weird way because you can't even imagine your life without that thing weighing you down. Change is possible. God's grace can do that. Holding on to him will do that. Removing that thing and filling that space with God can do that. That's the vision you have to have. It is possible someday I can be freed from that. And it's not by working harder and it's not by trying to make myself busy or keep distracted. It's by giving that thing up to God and letting him replace that with something better. Vision. What's your intent? And this is the hard one. Do you really want to change? Because here's the reality. If, if it's one of those things or it's something else that's popped in your head that you struggle with, you've said before, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. It'll never be like that again. I'm not going to cross that line. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm done. And you meant it. I know you did. Been there. And then it happens again, right? And you fall back into that cycle of like, maybe I will never be free from this. And well, I said I was done, but, but I did it again, so maybe I'm not. You have to set in your heart your intent to actually change. And all that means is, am I willing to do whatever it takes to leave that thing behind and start into a new direction that's better? Vision, intent, and the third one is my favorite. It's the most practical. What's your strategy? Can you see that change is possible? Do you really intend to do the change? And if you do, you have to develop a strategy. So what's your strategy? And there's lots of things you know that you can do. There's different groups. There's support. The biggest thing I want to say and what we're going to plug today, one of the, and I know you guys have so many stories with this, one of the most effective ways to introduce change into your life is to pursue God with other people who are trying to pursue God to allow them into those dark spaces in your life that you wish no one to know about, to keep that secret from having power over you and share that with somebody that loves you, and then work together to walk through this thing, to have help, to have that 2 a.m. phone call when you're going, hey, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm about to drop the ball, and to have that person be there for you and walk you through this and point you back to God and just carry that weight with you. Most of my strategies in life where I need to change have to involve other people. 
we have a really cool opportunity this morning. If this is your first time, you, you, you kind of get a heads up, a leg up on everybody else. We're going to have our life groups, uh, our representatives for our life groups in the back of the room. And they've got all kinds of sign-up sheets available. If you're not in a life group, guys, this isn't, this isn't a heaven or hell kind of conversation. This isn't a is your salvation at stake conversation. This conversation is are you going to experience the blessings that God has for you right now? Or are you going to go through life stuck? One of those blessings, I promise you, is back there at one of those tables for you where you get in proximity and close relationship to people who love you and love Jesus. The bridge is about that. We're always going to be about that. We will never stop pushing that because we believe with all of our heart that next to God, being in, in relationship with other believers is one of the most important things that you can do. So it is a challenge. I'm challenging you. If you are not in a life group and your reasons are it's uncomfortable or I'm scared or I don't know anybody, those aren't, those, those aren't good enough. Weigh those, weigh those excuses with those things that you're struggling with that you feel like you're at the end of the rope. If your strategy and your intent is real, are you really willing to do everything that it takes to change? You need to go get connected to one of those groups. And here's the best part. They're not a bunch of weirdos. We vouch for them. We're all a little weird, but in a good way. These groups just want to take care of you and they want to welcome you in and they want to become family. So I can stand up here all day and say this, but we thought it'd be a lot more beneficial for you guys to be able to see it for yourself. So we're going to watch a video and then the band's going to come back up uh, and the video is going to just detail what life groups has done in the lives of our people, how they've experienced change by getting out of their seat and signing up and embracing the awkwardness and letting people into those uncomfortable, dirty parts of our lives so that we can experience change. I want to leave with this passage and then um, watch the video. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And I want you to find that encouragement because this is not a cracking the whip kind of thing. It's God saying, I've created you special. And I want you to realize the fullness of your specialness to me. I want you to realize how much I love you. I want you to realize how much grace I have for you. And I want you to work with me to give up those things and, and to sacrifice the parts of your body that need to be sacrificed so we can get back to doing business together. Let's watch this video. Hi, I'm Melissa Patton. I'm Wesley Patton. We uh, started coming into the bridge about, I believe, summer 2017. Um, what brought us here was transition from Denver um, and just a blind search for a new, new church home. And uh, after about, I'd say, a month and a half, we stumbled upon the bridge and uh, immediately fell at home and knew that's where we wanted to be. My name is Amanda and I started attending the bridge February of 2016 when we were still in the library. I started attending the bridge because Steve and Michelle were my neighbors. My name is Mike Spitzer and I started attending the bridge because Amanda started attending the bridge. So I started attending back in January of 2017. 
Hi, my name is Jamie and I moved to Colorado Springs in August 2016 for a job and I had moved from uh, Austin, Texas where I lived there several years and had a great community and I knew it was going to be a big change because I knew no one moving to the city. Um, but I knew it was where God was calling me. He opened amazing doors uh, career-wise. And um, when I got here, it was me and my cat, so I was super cool. And um, the whole process of finding a church and um, finding community was really hard because, especially when you're older and it's not that college age of you're on campus together. And so I had um, gone to a couple different churches, nothing wrong with them, they just weren't working. And so I found out about the bridge and visited a couple times late fall and then in January last year I uh, kind of decided to make it my home church and one of the reasons um, and I think I told Steve and Michelle this um, was because they had life groups. We started uh, being life group leaders in, uh, in uh, fall of 2017 after um, being in, life, in a life group in uh, Denver and uh, I, th I think the purpose behind it was to get connected more quickly to the church and to this to to um to people we had a need to be uh fed outside of just sundays and we knew from from past experience that we could get that from the life group i feel yeah we didn't really know a whole lot of people um, moving back to the springs and i wanted to be really intentional with the people that we surrounded ourselves with and there's no better way than than a life group and it's been life-changing it's been amazing um, some of the closest people um, that we know um, and we can count on like you say they're our 2am friends and um, it's really cool to have that in our life in the summer of 2016 I started to go through a divorce process um, it took a few months to get things rolling before things were set in front of the judge or whatnot um, but during that time it was very difficult and rough for me. I was in an accident at work a few years ago and um, it really changed the course of Melissa and I's life. Um, since then I've had uh, two back surgeries. I'm, I'm awaiting neck surgery. Um, recently I just lost a job because of my, my inability to perform the tasks. Um, and that's all been within the last month. So everything is you know, it was, well, actually the week before Christmas. Yeah. Um, it's pretty timely for the holidays, for all that to, uh, for all that to happen. Um, so I've had a lot of depression, you know, a, little, a lot of uh, time to spend alone. So I began leaning more onto the ladies of my life group, expressing to them what I was going through, trying to get some good advice so I would stay on track and I wouldn't lose myself or be destructive to my kids during the rough time. And they were very dependable. They gave me excellent advice and it just led me to where I am today. That's, that's you know, a, a big part of where the life group is in, in place right now in, in our lives. Um, rallying around me, coming over and just spending time sitting on the couch with me. The random text, uh, you know, we're, we're as, as um, a friend of the group said, we're past, you know, the, the nice Christian answers. It's, it's real, it's how you doing, bro. No, you're not okay today, I know you're not okay. And it's okay that you're not okay. Um, those, are the, those, are, those are the real friends 
that you need in life. And, and the only way to establish those relationships is, is through, um, I believe, um, just surrounding yourself around people repetitiously and, and, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and, and get to know them. Um, that's the only way I know how to, how to learn to love another person and, and get to know them is just through, you know, being vulnerable. And uh, our life group is definitely on that, that vulnerable level right now. So I went to Steve and Michelle's group uh, first, that was the one that kicked off. And I do remember that night, I'm not the type to, to email after, I don't know. Um, but I emailed them and said, this is the first time in months that I felt comfortable, like I have a home here. And I was so grateful for that because I knew I could, these could be, become my people, so to speak. Um, and when you don't know anyone in the city, that's huge. The things that you go through on a day-to-day -day basis that you can't walk up on stage on Sunday morning and say, Hey Steve, this is what happened this week. Well, you can do that in a life group. You can say, Hey, whoever's in your life group, whoever you're talking to, whoever's giving you that drive, you can say, Hey, this is what I experienced this week. This is what I went through and this is how my life is struggling or this is the praises that I'm experiencing in my life. And those are the kind of things that uh, I think really kind of give you the through the week kind of thing. And then this past fall, me and a couple friends uh, decided to put one together. And so I just don't go to one, I go to two. That's how much I like them. Um, and not only is it the little things of, hey, can you watch you know, my cat? Or can, you, can I borrow this or whatever? It's beyond those little things. But I know when stuff has gotten hard, I can trust them. I'm different because I attended life groups because I'm stronger because I'm not, I know I'm not alone, I'm not by myself, and I have a lot of backing when I need it, even if it's at 2 a.m. Every time I go, I'm refreshed and renewed and just reminded that I have people now in Colorado. It's not just my Texas people or my California people. I have my Colorado people now, too. Yeah, um, gosh, through that, it's it's been a struggle for both of us, and um, I try so hard to lift him up and encourage him, but to be honest, I, I have days where it's hard Hard and it's really challenging and I don't know what to do um, except get on my knees and the women and, and the men everybody in our life group has just been so pivotal pivotal in in this and um, it just feels so good to be able to like be real with people and let people know what's going on and know that they're not gonna have any judgment towards me towards us and um, that not only that, they're here to encourage us, and they can only encourage us if we're real with them. And um, man, does that feel real, honest relationships. So we're so excited to be um, to be in this, and we know we're gonna come out um, on the other side of this and be victorious. We know that um, God works all things for the good. Believe it or not, we didn't pay them to say that. Those are just real stories of people who are experiencing life change by getting involved with other people and the messiness and the brokenness, and we embrace that all the time here at the bridge. God only has broken and messy people to work with. If anybody tells you any different, they're lying. We're all in that place, and it's all this brokenness, and it's all messy, but we can do this together. So I beg you, really pray about that. Consider signing up for one of those life groups in the back. If that voice is in your head saying, you should do this, please go do that before you leave, and I promise you it'll be worth it. So, guys, we're going to pray together. The band's going to lead us out in one more song.
God, I probably need this message as much as anybody in the room. We're never the people who can stand up here and say that we have it all together. And I will stumble, Lord, and I will fall. And I will do things that take away from my relationship with you. But God, the truth and the big picture of this message is that you love me so much that you're never going to abandon me. God, there's no amount of distance that I can walk away from you that you won't be willing to wrap me up in your arms. God, there is not a day that you stop fighting for me. There is not a day that your heart is not broken for me as mine is broken. God, there is not a day that I can live outside of your compassion and outside of your mercy. God, I beg you, show me within my heart these areas of myself and my physical nature, Lord, that I need to submit to you. Convict me of those things and then God, empower me to to make that difference in my life by seeking you out and filling those broken areas with more of you. God, with leaning on other people and letting them into the secrets and the darkness of my life so that light can be brought into it. God, your scripture makes very clear that it's the secrets and the darkness in our life, the hidden things that have power over us. But Lord, when we let you in and we let light inside of those very dark areas, we will experience a kind of freedom that only you can give us in life. Lord, let me humbly submit myself to you in my proud, my proudest areas so that you can become more. Lord, I love you with all that I have and I'm so grateful that you continue to use me to love me and God that that's the message for every person in this room today you are good it's in your name we pray